Sometimes to be a winner, you've got to be a loser. This is Mega Maker episode 65. <laughs> Hey folks, welcome back. It's been far too long since I've recorded a Mega Maker episode. I've uh, just been focused so much on building Transistor.fm, and I do a weekly show with my co-founder called Build Your SaaS. But folks, I'm back. I originally recorded this, well, I, I just recorded this today, live in front of uh, an audience, a virtual audience. This was done just for Mega Maker Club members and for people who support me on Patreon. So it was a private event. People just really seemed to resonate with it. Uh, I was kind of feeding off the audience. We were having a lot of interaction and that resulted in something I think that was just too valuable not to share with everybody. So you know, those folks got the live stream, they got the video, they got the interaction. I wanted to share with you just uh, not the whole thing, but a bunch of parts from this live talk I did today. Maybe to start, what I'll do is I'll tell you a story about my youngest son, uh, Liam. He is uh, nine years old, just entered grade four, and uh, is really struggling with reading. And uh, his whole life, he's kind of been one of these kids that if something doesn't come easy to him, and many things have come easy to him, uh, he's, without trying very hard, he's a really good skier. Without trying very hard, he learned how to ride a bike. Without trying very hard, he was able to, uh, you know, master some of the fundamentals of soccer and, and play quite well. But... Invariably, what happens is that as soon as something gets hard or as soon as he runs up against an obstacle uh, and as soon as things don't come easy to him, he just wants to give up. He doesn't want, he doesn't feel like it's worth doing. And this has obviously been really hard because um, he's in grade four now and he can't read. And so he's having to learn how to face this obstacle where every day he basically has to practice 20, 30, 40 minutes at a time and build up this ability that he doesn't have yet, that doesn't come easy to him. And in the context of making things and in the context of building something that matters, wow, I, I think... Often I feel like that when I try something and I don't immediately get some sort of reward or it doesn't immediately work out or there's no sort of immediate benefit, uh, it, it can be disheartening. It doesn't feel good to lose. My son Liam just despises losing. If he can't win, he doesn't want to play. And it's funny, in his context, I can see how that's a really unhealthy attitude to have. But in my context, as I'm trying to build something, as I'm working away at 
different things. It really is hard to see the long, a long-term picture and a long-term perspective and take the things that are happening in the now as, uh, you know, all that matters. So you try a blog post, you write it all week and put it out and you think this is going to be it. This is such a great piece of writing and you put it out into the world and nobody cares. Or you build up to a product launch and everything is riding on this thing and you put it out into the world and it doesn't get the response you were hoping for. Or maybe in my case, 2017 just took the took the snot out of me. It, uh, you know, mental health stuff and personal issues and and that feeling of being down and how can you bounce back in the moment can be can kind of feel like, you know, you're my nine year old son and feel like it's not worth it. It's too hard. What's the point of doing this if, you know, if I'm going to lose? And Jamie, inside of uh, Mega Maker Club, introduced me to this podcast. I'm going to play a little bit of it for you. It's an interview with Annie Duke. She is a researcher that basically researched professional poker players, ended up becoming a professional poker player. And... This interview she did with Farnham Street, you can listen to the whole thing on the Farnham Street podcast, is really great. I'm going to start by just playing a piece of that. I think that the thing that gets in the way of most learning, and I think that you can see this pretty clearly at the poker table, is something that you said, which is the pain. So it's this double-edged sword. It's like a catch-22. You need the pain in order for it to matter to you so that you'll learn. But the pain actually gets in the way of learning. And why is that? Because when you're losing, it just lights your lim limbic system up. I mean, it does not feel good to lose. And what particularly doesn't feel good about losing, when you're playing in a, in a game or doing anything where uh, you could possibly attribute your losing to your own decisions. So these are decisions you've made based on your mental model of the world, based on the beliefs that you have that we view as an attack on our identity. This idea that it doesn't feel good to lose. This is the same thing that my son is, is hitting up against. He hates to lose. Regardless of what it is, if he can't win, he doesn't want to play. And again, as a parent, I can see that if he continues the attitude, that will, uh, he will have a really hard time in life. But... On the other hand, me as a maker or an entrepreneur or whatever I am, a creative person, sometimes I run into that same thing where I feel like if I launch something and it, it doesn't succeed right away or I invest in something that doesn't work out, th there's part of me that just wants to throw up my hands and go, well, forget about it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to even bother. And you know, I think if I had a parent above me, as a 38-year-old adult now, I think they would say the same thing I say to my son, which is, you can't think that way. You know, 
if you're going to play a game, you have to be willing to lose. And this is something that poker players actually figure out is, uh, you know, often when they're losing, um, they're figuring out strategy. They're figuring out what not to do. I, I know that there's certain folks that, you know, play video games who are really good at hacking games, like figuring out how to beat them really quickly, uh, speed runners and things like that. And, you know, when you and I play a video game, you know, at the arcade or even if we're playing a game for the first time amongst friends, our initial goal is just to win, right? We just want to win or stay alive as quickly as possible. And uh, I don't know if you've tried playing Fortnite yet, but that's been kind of my experience. You know, I get in and I'm just trying to stay alive as long as I can. But often people that are good at hacking the system, they're okay with losing. They're okay with dying a bunch of times on a certain level if it helps them figure out a strategy, if it helps them get the lay of the land. And so they don't fear losing. What they fear is not learning. Let's see if I can set this next clip up here. Hold on here. This is uh, the second part, and it, well, another part of that same interview. So we just default to attributing it to luck because there's an element of skill and luck here, and that way we can mentally get off the hook. Well, that's a, that's basically what ends up happening. So this the pain is the double-edged sword. We need the pain. We need skin in the game. Uh, we need the skin in the game in order to learn in this particular case. But it's that very fact that you're losing maybe because of your own decisions that doesn't feel good to us, that makes us feel like our identity is being attacked. So now we have a choice. We can say, well, in the long run, I have to take the pain because my long run goal is to become a better player and to learn. By the way, whatever it is, whether it's it's poker or sales or business or relationships or whatever it might be, we have to be able to say, okay, I'm willing to take this short-term pain, this this feeling that doesn't feel very good, because I know in the long run it, it's going to help me learn because I'm going to go in and I'm going to examine my decisions. I'm going to see where maybe I could have improved, where I could have made a better decision that would have increased the likelihood that I had a better outcome. I, man, th- this whole interview, I, I'm, I was really thankful that Jamie um, shared it with the group because it feels like this is it. This is this idea of, we have two choices. We can take this long range view that if we are going to be, be makers, if we are going to be creatives, if we're going to be building a business, if we are going to be bootstrappers, whatever it is that we are committing ourselves to, this is going to have to be a long term game. The alternative is this short term view, which is well, if I can't win right now, then it doesn't matter, or then it's not worth doing. Uh, or even maybe having peace admit uh, peace in the storm, where you know, for me, I'm not having as good of a year business wise as I was last year. And in this moment, I could say, well, short, t- I could start freaking out, basically. And for sure, there's <laughs> lots of times I freak out. Uh, but I could be feeling like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, you know, 
scramble. I've got to, I don't know. It, I think I feel like a lot of mistakes are made when you have a short-term perspective. But if I can feel like, you know what, this is this is a long-term game I'm playing. And so to continue the poker metaphor, maybe I've lost a bunch of hands lately. But what can I learn from this? And yeah, it's painful. But we have to be able to take the pain if we're going to grow. We have to be able to take the discomfort if we're going to grow. And it's definitely not easy. It's not like being an employee. Uh, even some of the lessons we might have learned when we were consulting or in paid employment, you know, some of that prepares us for now. But if you are an independent maker or if you are trying to create a side business or you are you know, even just trying to build anything and put it out into the world. It's almost like nothing can prepare you for that until you commit yourself fully to that thing. And then you go, okay, well, this might take 5, 10, 15 years to grow. And even then, in 5, 10, 15 years, you'll probably still feel like you haven't arrived. It's the short-term perspective versus long-term. Uh, this one is a Casey Neistat clip. And uh, I think it's this is a good place for us to sneak this in. Okay, let's end this podcast with a quote that's relevant to that question from one of my favorite people in the world. She, she passed away a few years ago. Her name was Lillian Vernon. Google her. Fascinating woman who I had the pleasure of knowing. Um, she was the richest woman I'd ever met. And I was very broken. She was very, 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 very rich. And I asked her once about money. And she said to me in her like, amazing, sweet, kind, and totally non-judgmental tone, she was like, sweetheart, let me tell you about money. Money is round. You never have it. But sometimes it rolls to you and sometimes it rolls away from you. And that stuck with me so much because it is so true. No one gets to hold on to their money. And there are times where it just slips away from you and it rolls over to someone else. And, and that's the whole quote. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. That makes sense, right? What it meant for me is like when I was at my brokest, which was very recently, it was right after I started Beam, I just had the confidence that like it's just rolled away from me right now and I'll figure out how to get it to roll back. That gave me confidence. So there's a few things I like about this quote. The big thing actually is uh, I didn't know that he... Casey says when he was at his most broke, brokest, <laughs> it's not really a word, but right after he started Beam. And in my mind, it's like, no, Casey's successful. He's got lots of money to burn. And he starts Beam and it's, he's good. He has lots of margin. He has lots of padding in his life. But it sounds like he started Beam and that was a, a major... Um, risk for him, a major sacrifice. And, you know, sometimes I think, especially for me, I like to think about folks that maybe were dealt a better deck or now have have had a better deck for a while. You know, folks that have built up uh, whatever it is, money or influence or whatever. And think, oh, okay, well, they've got it made. They've got the the they've the 
the deck is stacked in their favor now. And even if, you know, like Casey, he started from nothing. Um, he, he, he was a high school dropout, you know, got his girlfriend pregnant, had ran away from home at 16 with nothing. But once people get to a certain level, it's easy for us to go, ah, oh, well, they've got it made now. And anything that they do is going to, you know, they're fine. But here he is saying, well, no, I, I, I still felt broke in that moment. I, I had invested all this money and it had gone away from me. And I had this feeling like, okay, maybe, it's, <laughs> maybe it'll come back. And obviously there's some tension here between real life and going the distance. It's something I've been trying to explore, you know, on my podcast and in my blog, talking about, you know, how can we as makers go the distance when we're making something? If you're bootstrapping, how can you survive while you're building that thing? It, it just feels like this reinforces this long-range view that we can't, we can't just be thinking about, you know, this one little moment in time. We have to think, are we committed to this for the long haul? This idea of uh, fortitude, courage in pain or adversity, the ability to kind of endure something when you're down. This is exactly what I think Annie Duke is talking about when she's saying, you know, when you're down and you're playing poker, you can't get so down on this idea that you just lost a hand. You can't get so down on this fact that everything didn't work out for you. You have to have this long-range view that this is just one hand. This is just one game. I'm going to lose some games. But I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to improve my strategy. I'm going to improve my skills. I'm going to improve all the things I'm going to need to get to the next level. And then I'm going to keep working at it and working at it and working at it probably a good time to do the next Annie Duke quote. You know, every poker player has this time where they've got an incredible hand and they're just waiting to play it. They know they've won the round. And then the opposing player, by pure chance, is able to beat them. And that's called a bad hand story. And what Poker players love sharing these stories. It's like ah, it's like about the fish that got away. Um, you know, they love to talk about how unlucky they were, or how another person, another competitor, just got lucky, and that's why they were successful. And uh, Annie's mentor, a poker player at the top of his game named Eric, he uh, talks about this. So let me let me set this up here. What he said was, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was something like, why are you telling me this story? Like, do you think I really want to hear this? Like, okay, I've lost with a lot of hands too. I have heard so many bad beat stories. I have no interest in yours whatsoever. If you really lost because of bad luck, what's the point of the story? There's nothing that you can learn from it. Now, if you have a question, like if you want to talk about strategy, like, I don't care whether you won or lost the hand. Like, we'll sit down and talk about strategy. But don't just come up and tell me about bad luck. You're, like, literally wasting my time, and it's annoying. Wow. There's, a, there's so much to uh, talk about here. You know, I love telling bad beat stories in the bootstrap uh, maker sense. You know, I love talking about how 
you know, other, other people won because of luck. And that can be true. Uh, I, I think there is tension between these ideas that we need to keep in mind. But Eric Seidel's point is that these bad beat stories don't actually help telling these stories. There's nothing we can learn from them because if it's all about luck, if it's all about bad luck, what's the point? What's the point of the story? There's nothing you can learn from it. So if we're going to tell stories, if we're going to read stories, if we're going to listen to advice, all we want to be concerned about is what can we learn from this? How can this improve our strategy? How could this improve us 1%, 2%, 3% today, and then tomorrow another 1%, and then the next day another percent, another percent, so that, again, in five years, we can have this long-term improvement. I think there is also on the flip side if that's a if there are bad beat stories there are, all, are also positive beat stories that are just as destructive and if if a bad beat story kind of um attributes a loss or a mishap to bad luck and and it's kind of like a, a very short-term perspective right well I didn't win because of bad luck a good beat story has the same potential for not being helpful, but it and it has the same short-term view, but it gives us this lie that if we do what others have done in the past, what took them 5, 10, 15 years to do, if we do those things, we can shorten the road from 5, 10 years to one year or six months or a month or a week, right? So... Let's see if I can get this John Syracusa. The thing to avoid and the thing this book mostly avoids for the most part is, and this happens in tons of other Apple books, which is Apple did a thing, thing was successful. Therefore, everything Apple did that led to that is a thing that you should do to be successful too. That's what every business book says, right? Which is like the worst possible analysis. It's the same the thing that anyone who's successful, like it, it could, <laughs> They think every like they can't distinguish like because Apple operates in this way and Apple was successful, you too should do these things. So then you'll be successful. It's like, well, all we have is this is the way Apple operates and they were successful. But for all we know, Apple would have been 100 times more successful if they didn't operate that way. And, you know, the thing that made them successful is not this way of operating or this particular thing or the fact that they have, you know, pizza on Tuesdays. And if you have pizza on Tuesdays, you'll make an iPhone, too. It's like, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) it's very easy. It's very easy when you're fantastically successful as, as a large endeavor to look at every single thing you do and say those are, or pick out the ones that you think were important. Like every morning I have a hard boiled egg, right? It's important to have breakfast. If you don't have breakfast, you're never going to make the iPhone. <laughs> well, you know, people think all sorts of weird stuff, right? One thing I'm realizing, so much of this is about us playing our own game. It's not about Apple's game and what they did to be successful. It's not about Nathan Barry's game and what he did to be successful. It's not about Elon Musk's game and what he did to be successful. It's also not about all these other things we could blame for our success or non-success. Even though there are viable things that can stop us, and some of us have way more privilege than others, those are all real. But it, it just kind of reinforces this point 
which is we're all playing our own game. We're not playing anyone else's game. And if that's true, that means the only thing we can do is focus on our game and not try to copy what someone else is doing and not try to follow the 10 rules to success that someone else has come up with in, in an effort to shorten the journey down from 10 or 15 years down to a week or a month. What worked for them isn't going to work for us. But at the same time, just because they found something that worked, we can't get bitter or sour about that, which I'm sometimes inclined to do. Where just say, wow, they just got lucky. Their timing was right. They're, you know, they had better assets. They had better resources. There was no competition back then. All of that might be true, but it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the game we're playing right now. What game are we playing right now? And it's almost like we're in our we're in this maze. It doesn't matter if someone else seems to be further ahead of us in the maze than we are. We we just need to keep focusing on how to get out of the maze. If all we focus on is how we feel like someone else is more advantaged because they're ahead of us, we're never, we're never going to get out of the maze. We just have to focus in the maze. We have to keep our head about us. We have to stay calm. Even when it feels like we're down or we're losing or things aren't going our way, we have to think, okay, well, this is just a short-term perspective. This is this one piece of the maze. But if I'm going to get out of here, it's going to take a long time and I need to just keep my wits about me so that I can make it to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage, right? Final clip I'll play for you is from Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast. Often you'll hear an interviewer talking to an actor or someone with charisma about their gift. This person's really gifted, they'll say, or when did people realize you had a gift? Well, it turns out all of us have one gift or another, but that's not what makes someone a genius. That's not what makes someone productive or important or a contribution. No, it's the emotional labor they bring to the table. It's the willingness to go closer to the bone, to do the work that might not work, to show up when all bets are off. That, that emotional commitment, the emotional labor of doing the hard stuff, that is where genius actually lives. This piece, I mean, this whole uh, episode, it's just, if you search Seth Godin genius, the whole thing is great. Uh, you may have seen me play a separate clip from this same episode about, um, which <laughs> I kind of like to refer to because it's all about him saying, listen, the 1976 NBA All-Stars couldn't, even come close to competing with the 2016 or 2018 NBA All-Stars. Basketball players have gotten progressively better. And he says, well, why? Well, because the economics are better. It's, you can be an NBA player and you can make millions of dollars. And so more people are willing to put in the practice and the hard work and the effort 
to become basketball players. It's not that there are where we are birthing more people that are more athletically able, although some of that is true. You know, people are healthier, uh, things like that. But uh, on the whole, what's changed is the economics. And I was using that as an example of saying, well, there you go. See, it, it's so much harder now to start a SaaS business. You know, for Brian Hogg, it's so much harder f- to start a plug-in business for WordPress. For David Sedia, it's so much harder to write a programming book now because there's so many other people doing it. I missed my chance. But that's not Seth's point at all. That's the context for this next part, which is just to say, okay, well, this is the game now. And what are we going to do about it? (laughs) What good does it do to complain that we're not in 1976 anymore? It doesn't do us any good. There's None of us have a time machine. We can't go back. None of us can go back to 2001 and build Basecamp before Basecamp built it, right? We could try, but <laughs> we can't do that. All we can do is the emotional labor that Seth is talking about here. And... Uh, it does beg the question why we're doing it at all. Because it really seems like it would be easier to go and get a job, but then we go back to the why, why we're doing this in the first place. Why are we doing this in the first place? Do I really want to be a bootstrapper? Do I really want to make software? Like, is that my end game? No. We're doing this because we want freedom. We want purpose. We want to, you know, have a better life. We want to have a better life for our kids. Or we just, this is what we have to do. We can't not do this. And I'm not saying that none of us should ever go back and get a job because I mean, if I have another bad year, I'll need to get a job. There's no doubt about it. (sighs) Having a long-range view of our life and what we want is kind of what I'm trying to say. So if what you want is stability for you and your family emotionally and in terms of a regular paycheck all the time, then you should go out and find the most regular job that you can because... Uh, the most secure regular job that you can. And that's fine. And you would still be welcome inside of Mega Maker Club. And you would still be, you know, we could still hang out. That's your, you can still be a maker even if you're working full time. Um, I know a guy that has a, a course that does $200,000 a year and he still works full time for Airbnb. So he loves his work with Airbnb but he loves teaching this course at the same time. And, um, you know, that, but his long-range view of what he wants out of life, that's what he's going after. And if we're going to accomplish those things, those, the reasons we're here, the reasons we're doing what we do, we have to be willing to say, okay, this is going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of emotional labor. It's going to be hard work. It's not going to happen overnight. 
I might fail today and have to get up tomorrow and try something else. I'm going to stay calm even when I've been dealt a bunch of bad hands. That's the key. And I don't exactly know how I'm going to do that because I'm like you and, you know, we. it's hard figuring all this stuff out. But I thought I would share it anyway, even though I'm nowhere near as stoic as, you know, all these clips would encourage me to be. Uh, it's something I want to strive for. I want to be able to stay calm in the moment and really just focus on improving every single day. Not worrying about someone else's journey. Not worrying about what other people will think about me. Not worrying about anything else except for this is my journey, this is my game, and it looks different than Jason Freed's, and it looks different than Ashley Baxter's. It's, it's different. So how can I focus right now on this game? And I think what's great about what we've been able to create in the Mega Maker Club is this community of people that can encourage each other, that can remind each other, that can help us zoom out when we're, we can't see the forest through the trees and can say, hey, listen, think about where you were, Justin, in 2007, working for a nonprofit and you know, not enjoying the work at all and wondering if you'd ever be able to get work that, you know, paid your bills and that you enjoyed. Or think about where you were in 2013, 2014, where you're driving, you know, two to three hours a day commuting and listening to Rob Walling on the podcast and feeling like, oh man, if I could ever even be close to that, my life would be made. The long-range view gives you perspective about how far you've come or how much you've learned. And so my hope for us is that in one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, as we continue to grow, as we continue to build on what we're doing now, we'll be able to see, you know, again, everyone's journey is going to be different. Everyone's results are going to be different. But I think if any of, if all of us, can look back and say, you know what? I've grown a ton since October 1st, 2018. I think um, that's worth working on. That's worth working towards. I think that's all I had to say. Is anyone still there? <laughs> uh, oh, thanks, Steve. Yeah, I, I, I don't want us to embrace failure. No, I want us to embrace learning. I think that's the key. I want to embrace learning. And uh, I want to, in some ways, this is why I've been willing to try Patreon. And if I'm completely honest, I'm kind of on this precipice of do I commit myself fully now to trying to grow pa my Patreon thing? Do I try to do that? The, the idea being, I want to do writing and videos and stuff like this, podcasts for a long time, regardless of whether I'm doing Transistor or another business or a job. And so do I want to invest in having a community of people 
who want to support that work. Uh, and that's a big risk. And part of me goes, well, no one's ever really done that before. And, you know, maybe that's not worth doing. And maybe it's not. But I, I'm, I forced myself to try it out because I felt like trying new things, like Brian was saying, is part of the game. I have to be willing to, to try something. And just like anything else, it's not like I launched my Patreon and all of a sudden, everything was fine. If I'm going to do that, it's going to take time and investment to grow that too. But maybe that's worth doing, right? Over the long haul. It's almost like, regardless of what you're doing, you can't just build the whole platform yourself. You have to be, <laughs> you have to be willing to hitch a ride onto something else. And in a sense, we're all doing that with the internet. The internet is the platform. You know, that's what we build on top of. Taylor Otwell built on top of PHP and did Laravel. Um, you know, Steve and the folks at Breaker are building on top of the podcast ecosystem. Brian Hogg is building on top of the WordPress ecosystem. And so I saw this ecosystem and I thought, well, maybe I'll just try it because unless I try it, I'll never know. And I can't just take other people's word for it Sometimes you just have to try it yourself. And again, there's tension between all of these things because you don't always want to learn things the hard way. Like there is some wisdom, collective human wisdom, but there are also times where you just have to try it out yourself and see how it goes. It's been helpful for me to think about, okay, what are the things that I've done that have resonated over a long-term view uh, you know, I started podcasting in 2012. I started blogging in 2008. And over that 10-year span, I can say, what have I done that people are happy that I did and that I was also happy to do? And if those are the things that people are ha happy I made and that I was happy to do, how can I create the means to do that in the future? And so... For me, it's, it's like, okay, well, if I want to continue to do that, I need to, you know, figure out the means. Maybe it's Patreon. And Patreon works, seems to work well with people that are creating content. So I'm going to try it out. That, what really clicked for me today was this idea of when a poker player is losing a hand, they can't immediately start stressing out and getting anxious over this one hand that they lost. And be like, well, it's all over. I'm never going to win a hand again. I'm, you know, they can't think like that. They've got to stay grounded and breathe and focus on the fundamentals, focus on the strategy, focus on the things that they know are true, and just work on the next hand bit by bit. You know, you grow your kind of poker earnings over time by winning more hands than you lose, but you're going to lose hands. The best poker player in the world has lost probably thousands of hands. Whew. Well, this was fun. Um, I didn't even check Skype to see if anyone messaged me and said, I got to jump in here. Uh, but I got like 100 text messages uh, from my wife.
Okay, I need to be home at, in two hours. I still got time. Okay, cool. Well, thanks everyone for being here. Thanks for staying late. And I will try to do more of these live streams just for Mega Maker Club members and patrons on Patreon. If you have any other thoughts, let me know. So that was the talk I gave today, uh, primarily for Mega Maker Club members and Patreon supporters. If you have been listening to my stuff for a while, if you've been reading my blog for a while, if you've been getting my newsletter or watching my YouTube videos or my Twitch live streams, and you've been thinking, yeah, I love, I would love to support Justin's work, but I don't want to buy, you know, marketing for developers or I don't want to become a member of Mega Maker Club, Patreon. It is a great way to support this work I'm doing. And if you want to see me continue to share thinking like this, to uh, you know, be doing pulling together all of these clips together into one single narrative, Patreon is the place to support the content work I do. It is built for people like you that just want to make sure that a given author or podcaster or whoever can continue doing what they're doing. So if that's you and you want to support, patreon.com slash Justin. That link is also hidden in the show notes for this episode. You can just look at that right on your podcatcher. Your support means a lot to me. Thanks again.